For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. For more information, visit faith.yale.edu. It's this fundamental question to me, what does the commitment to Christ and to one another in Christ mean? And often it seems that commitment to Christ is very thin, very tenuous, and that commitment to our compatriots or folks who, with whom we share the same political opinions, commitment to our tribe seems to easily trump commitment to Christ, or we use Christ for the purposes of our uh, tribal interests and tribal uh, loyalties. And I think that's a really deep challenge uh, for, for the practice uh, of faith. This is For the Life of the World, a podcast about seeking and living a life worthy of our humanity. I'm Evan Rosa. And I'm Miroslav Wolf. And we're with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. I asked Miroslav to come on the show today to discuss how to live faithfully in this political moment. But we're going to do it in a slightly different way than we've done before in the show. We're going to do a kind of grab bag of questions about that theme. Uh, Miroslav, how are you feeling about that? I think I feel okay. I, I think let's think of it as a process in which we all are engaged. And uh, this is a one conversation, one word uh, within the larger conversation that needs to happen. I think this is also expressive of the important ways in which reflection is a is a process. It's a conversation that we want to encourage our listeners, but but everyone that kind of comes into contact with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, that that conversation and dialogue and um, discourse, this is the way that we come to the truth. This is, uh, this is how to foster truth-seeking conversations. And in many ways, this is the only way in which we can walk in the truth and walk together in the truth so that it isn't just about us having opinions and then trying to internalize those opinions, but that our lives are lives of a journey. And on that journey, seeking what's the right step to make right now is uh, as important of a question as it is uh, what is the overarching perspective in the light of which we're making these uh, decisions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the journey for many Americans, many people are really around the world right now. It feels a little confusing, like we've maybe lost our place on the map. There's a little bit of chaos. Maybe there are some obstacles in the way. There's strong opinions, uh, right? I mean, it's, it's, we are in a setting in, in which people describe it as culture wars, and uh, probably that's not the right description uh, for it because it uh, kind of takes away from something from the horror of actual uh, war. But nonetheless, there is a kind of warlike uh, situation. Fronts are then tightened, and then the sphere and the possibilities of, of opinion are restricted. And we seem to be not just nestled, but almost captive to particular camps from which even when we want, often can't uh, release ourselves. It also results in people holding back, mm. um, holding back their comments, holding back their, their opinions, um, holding back their questions yeah. that overall serves to reduce the quality of the conversation. And so I think it, it's really helpful to be talking about that. What we've done is we've, we've pulled some of our followers from social media and asked this question of them, what is on their mind right now in terms of how to live faithfully in this political moment? And so 
in this episode, we're just going to read some of those questions and discuss the themes there. And we're going to see some some common themes. So we've selected a few today, and we're going to be talking specifically about unity and, and what th- this political moment does to the feeling of, of division in the church and in our families and in our friendships and, and communities. I think, I think Miroslav, what I'm going to do though, is I'm going to actually put you on the spot and, and I'm going to cut in line and I'm going to start with this because I noticed recently that your Twitter and Facebook bios say something to this effect. You say, before I tweet, I pray, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. I think that's, <laughs> that's a, a fitting prayer for each of us to utter in our hearts right now. And I wonder if you'd say a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it grew out of uh, some of the discussions that uh, developed, um, especially on my my Facebook. And I've had that kind of experience uh, in during the 2016 uh, election uh, as well, where uh, it's become a site of combat uh, almost. Uh, And I decided that uh, it's it's very important uh, for me also to make those my social media sites as kind of civil sites, uh, and basically I then um, shut out anyone who uh, doesn't want to be civil. But then pretty soon I realized uh, it's not enough just for us to be uh, civil. It's um, th- that's a kind of formal uh, feature of our uh, Discord. But but the content also, as well as form of our um, discourse, what we say and how we say what, what we say has to be ordered to something larger than the immediacy of the debate in which we find ourselves uh, as important as some of this, some of those particular issues are. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, the overarching goal that we have is to be agents of peace, peace in this um, broad sense uh, of the term that we find in the Hebrew Bible of shalom. That is to say that involves both of the self and relations in which we find ourselves, multiple relations in which we find ourselves. And then to ask the question, well, how can I be an instrument of this peace? And besides, it echoes also one of my very favorite pr- prayers, uh, which is the prayer of St. Saint, Saint Francis. Uh, St. Francis never wrote that prayer, uh, but nonetheless, it's written in the spirit of, of St. Francis. And though I was disappointed to learn that he never did write it, uh, I nonetheless continue to pray it. And I find it immensely helpful in expressing the Christian spirit. And Christian spirit, I think that we really need an environment like uh, ours today. I mean, what's beautiful about that is it just call, it calls you to picture the long game of what, um, ideally what politics is about being about public space and about a space that is common, um, commonly shared where there's, where there's access to the goods of of public life together for everyone as um, as equitably and as just justly as possible, and and at the end of the day, we're dealing with with each other as human beings and not not just discursive combatants. Yeah, and in discourse itself is the public good, right? And so, uh, kind of to protect the public good of each other's voice. 
and honor each other's voice. It's almost like a first requirement of uh, family life, first requirement of um, city life, a first requirement of more broadly construed political life. If I can't let the other person be themselves and articulate uh, themselves, I have already kind of squeezed them out uh, of that public uh, space, out of my space. And that's why I thought that uh, social media, as um, impersonal as they are, and as inviting uh, certain forms of uh, egregious incivility, they can also be spaces where everybody has a chance to deliberate a bit and put something uh, down, and other people can uh, listen to it and uh, internalize. We, we, can, we can deliberate together uh, publicly, and that's what I try to create um, on Facebook and maybe to a lesser degree on Twitter. Well, let's go to Twitter. Dr. Bethany Keeley Jonker just opens up and, and, and is transparent with this, and I really appreciate that. She says, I'm struggling to balance unity in the body with my firm conviction that the Trump presidency is hostile to my most deeply held Christian values. So there's that, that struggle for unity. Yeah. Yeah. This question of um, unity of, uh, of the church in uh, the time of political divisions. It's, it's a, such an important question. It's this, especially for those of us for whom church matters and unity of the church matters, um, especially for those of us who think that, well, the church is this community uh, of believers in Christ who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from every tribe and every nation uh, over the past uh, 2,000 uh, years, incredibly diverse throng. And then we experience ourselves in the middle of political division, and suddenly that which should have been united in Christ uh, ends up profoundly divided, and not just divided, but in those divisions, mirroring the positions that are in the outside uh, environment, political lines of, of skirmish. I've had that experience in former Yugoslavia as well, uh, many of my friends, I mean, you had the United Church of Yugoslavia and the Yugoslavia broad, uh, uh, broke apart. Uh, those churches broke apart. Uh, divisions um, emerged within the churches along ethnic uh, lines. And um, it, it's this uh, fundamental question to me, what does the commitment to Christ and to one another in Christ mean? And often in such situations, it seems that commitment to Christ is very thin and very tenuous, and that commitment to our compatriots or folks who, with whom we share the same political opinions, commitment to our tribe seems to easily trump commitment to Christ, or we use Christ for the purposes of our uh, tribal interests and tribal uh, loyalties. And I think that's a really deep challenge uh, for for the practice uh, of faith. And to me, I'm not sure exactly what the answer to this is, except uh, to say that somehow we need to retrieve the fundamental place of allegiance 
to Christ or allegiance to the one God uh, in our lives. So for me, that's more of a challenge than um, something that I know what we necessarily need to do about. I mean, maybe there's a way to to further complicate that um, and say a little bit more about the challenge of this through another another listener. This is Ramiro Medrano, and uh, this was through Facebook, I think. He asks, how can we foster unity in the body of Christ in the midst of division? We've been talking about this already. Um, how does one challenge the brethren to consider a different perspective? How can we correct bad theology and doctrine when both sides use, or should I say abuse, scripture to justify their position? And he says further, I'm aware that much of this is based upon poor discipleship and interpretation. Mm. However, and this is a key point for him. However, the polarization is further encouraged from the pulpit. And so let's interpret this as, as from the leadership perspective as well, because I think pastors and ministers feel a call to the, as you, as you have said in public faith in action, uh, the inalienable nature of Christian faith as public. And so pastors and ministers are, are feeling called to engage. And yet the division and polarization is often encouraged. Yeah, uh, that's um, uh, division and polarization is going to emerge. And I think sometimes the key question, the key question I think would be, does it emerge out of tribal loyalties or does it emerge out of commitment to, to Christ? Now, um, Obviously, um, if I pose this question uh, in this way, everybody is going to say, this is my allegiance to Christ leads to these uh, and these political commitments that I that I have and hence uh, in faithfulness to Christ. Uh, I, I have to take that stance and which means uh, division. Now, what, what I would what I would simply simply say, and uh, often when one pushes a little bit more in conversations of this sort, I don't find that one goes back to the roots in the faith, but one immediately goes to the position of political uh, uh, allies or opponents. Uh, and I think maybe maybe what we need to do is to stay a little bit longer within the faith and then explore if we both claim that this is an expression of uh, obedience to Christ, well, well, let's let's uh, let's stay with that. And see how that obedience look like, and maybe the faith can become a platform on which we, on the basis of which we, can talk together and even disagree in amicable ways, knowing that we are trying to articulate the significance of faith for today, which isn't that easy of a task. Uh, we have to be we have to be um, uh, honest about it, and we'll generally disagree. What I'm afraid sometimes and what I find it so troubling is that there is a kind of mutual vilification that is uh, involved uh, and uh, unwillingness to to listen to the other person, shutting other people uh, down. And that seems to me uh, quite not in the spirit of a public discourse and certainly not in the spirit of Christ. Yeah. To be a little more specific for, I mean, this is my question as a follow-up, but I mean, do you think it's the role of a pastor to to guide their congregation morally and politically such that a person from a different political persuasion would find it difficult 
to be a member of that congregation and a, and a part of that community? Uh, I, I think moral guidance is a responsibility of uh, of a minister. Uh, I think uh, the direct lobbying for a particular party uh, should be avoided. But uh, thinking through moral issues that are involved in our political decision-making. Nobody can decide, and pastors shouldn't decide for their parishioners uh, what their political leanings uh, should be in terms of electoral politics. But I think we would, as theologians and also as pastors, I think we would not discharge our responsibility um, faithfully if we did not try to adjudicate in the light of the gospel um, what, how we ought to think about particular issues that are being debated. I think a minister, for instance, that doesn't comment uh, on immigration issues um, isn't taking seriously uh, their faith. A minister who doesn't comment on abortion issue uh, as well isn't doing it uh, either. Um, a minister who doesn't think uh, or doesn't comment on racism and doesn't uh, think that uh, equality before God is a fundamental conviction, I think in some ways is betraying the gospel. So th these are strong words, uh, I, I know, but I think that there are critical moral issues that we are facing uh, today, and they need to be addressed in the light of the gospel. Another listener by the name of Cordell Patrick Scholten uh, introduces this really fascinating ancient concepts that's used both in Stoicism and Christianity. And I wonder if this is on topic here. Uh, and this, this concept is adiaphora, and Stoicism translates it as indifference. But um, in Stoicism, adiaphora are things that are neither mandated nor forbidden mm -hmm. um, by morality. So it's how you approach them that makes them good or bad whether you approach them with virtue or vice. So Seneca, the famous Stoic, gives examples of things like strength, beauty, or wealth, more on the positive side, and pain, illness, and death. These are actually uh, indifference. Uh, that's with a T, indifference. Uh, in Christianity, especially in the theological disputes during the Reformation, adiaphora were used to identify the non-essentials of faith and practice, things the, the Bible neither commands or forbids, things like liturgy and administration of sacraments, varieties of worship, etc. And I, I wonder if, if there's something to learn uh, from that. And that's what this listener Cordell is suggesting is, is there something we can learn from the use of a diaphora to help us engage in more open dialogue on political issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a very important question to ask whether some of the issues that we are debating uh, politically are not uh, a diaphora, whether they, they not they, they they belong outside of the strict moral uh, instruction, but belong to um, the assessments as to what might be uh, more expedient, more beneficial. And I think um, good chunks of our political decision-making is about some of those uh, issues. We might agree on goals, but disagree on means, and those means could be judge, uh, judged as a diaphora. I might not particularly like them, but on the other hand, 
not much rides on uh, the decision going one way or or the other. Um, on the other hand, or it's not worth vilifying the other side if they yeah. were to hold a, a position that suggests means that you disagree with. Right, right, and and you know we, we will also disagree on what what issues are the offer and what what issues are not. Of course, but I think we can agree that some issues would be uh, the offer. Um, and uh, that's important to keep in mind because I think it will reduce the 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 amount of friction because sometimes it's you know we we uh, as grown-ups are, are not too different than uh, we were when we were two three year olds you know the the, the temper tantrum flares up uh, and it flares up around a particular issue but that's not a really the reason for temper tantrum uh, there are other issues behind and this is simply an occasion and in many ways uh, there are occasions for for strenuous debates over things that themselves, uh, in them themselves, are not uh, that incredibly significant, but they signify something to the other person and to and to me. And we should seek to, I think, avoid uh, those so as to be able to live together in peace and concentrate on what matters. And I think also, uh, I think that it would help the, the, the unity, even on moral issues, if we were to say that if you were to think that the concern behind some of the issue is what the moral issue is, yeah. not particular way in which that is expressed and particular stance that's advocated. You know, one can think about this in, in terms of, you know, whether one should have a completely free capitalist economy or whether it should be more regulated. Mm-hmm. Um and one might. How does one make a decision uh, about this? Well, one one has to make a decision about it uh, in terms of what's behind this. What is the goal of economic uh, activity? What is my concern that will happen if we regulate? What is my concern that will happen if we do not regulate? Or what does actually happen, which is maybe a factual question as well. Okay. And once we pull back and talk about concerns. Then, then I think maybe we can be more more productive. For instance, we might all agree that reduction of poverty is our goal. But now, if we agreed uh, with that, and, and we think that's a really Christian Christian ideal, well, now we can say, okay, well, let's measure what we are doing against this demand. Uh, what are the costs and what are the benefits of one way or the other way of doing things? I sometimes think also that the debates about the mask mm. are sometimes of that sort. I mean, wearing it, uh, wearing it is not a terribly uh, onerous issue. It stands for something, and so it would be maybe useful to uh, think about what is the concern that lies behind, and why is it that we either do or do not uh, wear masks. Uh, by the way, I'm I'm, I'm a staunch pro-masker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But but nonetheless, I can I can see how uh, if we started talking about concerns behind, uh, it would be helpful. And that's what maybe a diaphora helps us um, to uh, to point us in that direction. Yeah, it opens up a space for um, for genuine conversation where where because there is a form of indifference, uh, it might not be. You know, it might be along a spectrum, you know, uh, of indifference. Um, it's important to more or less important to certain people, but it introduces this idea that some issues we can we can ha- we can be a little more easygoing about, such that we can we can learn 
about the root reasons that people have. And it exposes us to each other in a way that allows us to more genuinely encounter each other and encounter what is often the veiled suffering, the veiled trauma, and the the worries, the concerns, the fears that lurk behind hmm. a lot of the the really caustic um, and strident disagreement that's out there. You know, uh, when we think about that, the diaphora in the church life, um, generally th- th- those are diaphora issues applied to the questions of church order hmm. and what one might describe also church culture. I mean, I don't know how it is in the United States, but when I was growing up, churches were divided over over church music more than they did over doctrine. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and, and 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 that's a that's a typical example of of total adiaphora, right? But nonetheless, it symbolized certain form of cultural belonging. It, uh, it, uh, and it, it reflected on the way in which people understood themselves. It was an identity question rather than really strictly a moral or theological question. And it's very good for us to think whether which questions are really fundamental and which questions are of such nature that there are identity questions where I could uh, give way and nothing will be lost and maybe something will be gained. Mm-hmm. And speaking of gaining, um, there's another question from, uh, I think, an anonymous uh, Twitter account, but um, it seems like a great question nonetheless. Other than by avoidance, mm. how do we sustain friendships in the midst of political partisan differences? So really, this is going beyond identifying mm. the, the things we can be indifferent to, but how even with those very important differences in hand. How do we sustain friendship? You know, one of the things that I uh, I, I think about quite quite a bit, uh, not just in re- with regard to this question, but to our general stance toward the world, and that's the question that we often, but especially when we are in conflicts, we zero in on the negative and we zero in on the difference. And where the difference is, if there is not an agreement, if we can read it negatively, uh, we generally will read it, spot the negativity. And in and of itself, that's not, a, that's not an issue. We, we need to spot the ne- what's negative. But on the other hand, the negative has this way of occupying the entire field of vision. And we don't see what the positive might be. And so in the friendships, if we end up simply talking about and zeroing in on where we fundamentally disagree and what's negative about uh, the other the other person, obviously that that cannot be sustained. We need to find ways in which to uh, articulate the positive without that meaning that we are indifferent toward the negative. But there's more to this relationship than that on which we disagree or that which is salient right at this moment in this political uh, um, skirmish that in which we are involved. And my sense is uh, that life is, and we have to, that's what I said after the Trump victory in two, uh, 2016, uh, again, I'll say clearly where I stand, which was great disappointment to me. But uh, at the same time, I said, politics is not everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By long shot, it's not everything. Yeah. Uh, and I think when one applies that to friendships, when one applies that to church life as well, 
there are other areas in which we, I, I believe we ought to celebrate the good um, and, and maybe watch a little bit how we talk about each other. I sometimes tell a story about my, my, my uh, boring family conversations around my dad. <laughs> my dad would never allow us to say anything negative about anybody who wasn't present. Yeah. And I mean, this is for a 15 year old, a teenager. This is terrible. <laughs> you can't create the, the buzz around the table by, by, by commonly bashing and, uh, and, and, uh, and vilifying uh, other folks and thinking of how smart and cool we are. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I think, wow, wow, this is, this is actually extraordinary. Uh, I, I think this carefulness in speech about others is in the service of attending to their integrity and honoring their integrity, even when we are disagreeing, strenuously disagreeing uh, with them. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. What you're willing to say about another person. Yeah. I think, I mean, so you're picking up on this idea that, I mean, as, as human persons, we, we all have more to contribute to a relationship, more to contribute to each other than our political views. But um, we're, we're living in a moment where, where a person is so often reduced to their politics that we often miss each other in such a way that um, we're really living an impoverished, in impoverished friendships because of that, impoverished family relationships, impoverished community relationships. And that's because we fail to see someone in their, as their true self beyond their political commitments. Absolutely. Let's rebel against that tendency. Yeah. Miroslav, thanks so much for, um, for doing this. Uh, this is our first shot at this. And I don't know, I, I'm kind of excited about, yeah, yeah. about yeah. the future of, of polling <laughs> with more, more. So if you are listening to this um, and if you enjoy this, then we would encourage you to leave a review. We'll pay attention to our Apple podcast show page. You can leave a question that way. You can leave a question on Miroslav's Twitter account or Facebook page. And uh, we'll continue to poll um, uh, listeners for questions about how to live faithfully in this political moment. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, Miroslav. Hey, thanks, Evan. And uh, thanks to everybody for, for listening. Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture at Yale Divinity School. This episode featured theologian Miroslav Wolf. I'm Evan Rosa, and I edited and produced the show. Special thanks to our listeners and followers who submitted questions. The quality and quantity was just so high that we couldn't possibly get to them all. But we hope you'll continue to submit when we do this format again in the future. For more information, visit us online at faith.yale.edu. New episodes drop every Saturday, and you can subscribe through any podcast app. We hope you're enjoying the show, and we hope that you'd consider supporting us. Three ways that you can do that are as follows. You can share the show with a friend by text or email, and then I hope you talk about it. You could post it on your social feed, or you could open up Apple Podcasts right now, just after listening, to review and rate the show. 
Now we're asking you to share and support us because maintaining human connection is really important these days. We were not meant to live at distance from one another. So we hope this show is just a small, consistent way you can keep connecting, keep growing, keep seeking a life that is worthy of our shared humanity. We'll be back with more this coming week. Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends.